0: Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Employment Law Matters. I'm Barrister Daniel Barnett, and in this episode you'll learn when a complaint raised by an employee can reasonably be considered to be in the public interest, or when it's just to further a private dispute. Something which can make the difference over whether it qualifies as a protected disclosure, and therefore whether all the employment rights associated with whistleblowing come into play. Just before I start, this is the final episode of Season 2 and I want to thank those of you who left reviews for this podcast. I read every one of them and here's one I picked out just because the imagery made me smile. I really enjoy waking up on Tuesday knowing Daniel has uploaded a new podcast. These are terrific, informative, clear and provide excellent steps to managing situations. Thank you and thank you to everyone else who's taken the time to leave a review for Employment Law Matters, this podcast. Now, although this is the last podcast episode in this season, until season three starts in the autumn, you can get loads more employment law and other legal content from my YouTube channel, YouTubeLegal.co. It's a great source of information, youtubelegal.co.uk, and if you want to subscribe to it, I suggest you click the notification bell when you do so that you get notified when new videos go up. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. To be protected if they blow the whistle, a worker must have made a qualifying disclosure. That's a disclosure of information which, in the reasonable belief of the worker making it, Is made in the public interest and tends to show wrongdoing, such as the breach of a legal obligation. But the worker needs to only reasonably believe that the disclosure is in the public interest. It doesn't actually have to be in the public interest, and it doesn't have to be the worker's only or even predominant motivation in making the disclosure. The public interest element of the whistleblowing test was added only relatively recently, in 2013. The move was in response to tribunals deciding that a personal interest, such as the breach of the whistleblower's own contract of employment, could be the subject of a protected disclosure. The public interest requirement has brought the test for whistleblowing back into line with its original intent to protect people who've blown the whistle on matters of wider public interest, rather than to help and empower employees by giving them extra legal rights in private workplace disputes. And an employment tribunal has to decide on a case-by-case basis which camp the disclosure falls into. Now, lawmakers chose not to define the phrase, public interest. So it was left to the court to decide what it meant. And the Court of Appeal, in a case called Chesterton and No Mohammed, set out some guidance by providing a two-stage test. Number one, did the whistleblower subjectively believe the disclosure was in the public interest? So did they actually believe it in their head at the time they made the disclosure? Number two, was that belief objectively reasonable at the time? Now, there are no hard and fast rules here, but the Court of Appeal gave some guidelines about the kind of factors which should be taken into account by tribunals, and there are four. Number one is the number of people affected by the issue. The more people it affects, the more likely it is to be reasonable to believe it's in the public interest, but that won't always be the deciding factor. Number two is the nature of the interests that the disclosure covers and the extent to which those interests are affected by the wrongdoing. So a disclosure of wrongdoing about an especially important issue is more likely to be in the public interest than some trivial wrongdoing affecting the same number of people or where the effect of the wrongdoing is negligible. Number three is the nature of the wrongdoing. So deliberate malpractice is more likely to be in the public interest than accidental failings. And number four is the identity of the wrongdoer. So the larger or more well-known the wrongdoer, in terms of its own community of staff, of clients, of customers, the more well-known they are, the more likely a disclosure will be to be reasonably believed to be in the public interest. Now, that doesn't mean that personal interests, such as the breach of an individual's contract of employment, can never be of wider public interest. It depends on the case and how its facts fit into the analytical framework set out in Chesterton and Nomo Hamid, decided by the Court of Appeal. So what does it mean in practice? Well, the Employment Appeal Tribunals looked at the public interest requirement in a case called Dobie and Felton's in the last few months. The employee in Doby and Felton's worked for a firm of solicitors as a consultant solicitor, working with one of the firm's biggest clients. Now, he made several disclosures, which he said were protected disclosures, about the firm overcharging this particular client. One of his disclosures related to his own fees being written off to a greater extent than those of other fee earners, he said he'd been treated badly because of those disclosures, including having his consultancy agreement terminated, and he brought a whistleblowing claim. Now the employment tribunal found that the employee reasonably believed that the disclosure tended to show the breach of a legal obligation. He believed the overcharging was a breach of the firm's client obligations and a possible breach of solicitors' accounting rules. As it happens, there was no finding the firm had actually overcharged the client. But the tribunal found that he did not reasonably believe that his disclosure was in the public interest. They decided he believed it was a private matter relating to the individual client. The tribunal also said the disclosures had little influence on the employer's decision to terminate the employee's consultancy agreement. The employee appealed to the Employment Appeal Tribunal, saying the tribunal had applied the public interest test incorrectly and got the causation issue wrong also. We'll find out what the Employment Appeal Tribunal said after this. This episode is supported by Beverly Hills Bakery, offering worldwide gift delivery of baskets and tins filled with freshly baked mini muffins, cookies, brownies and cupcakes. A perfect thank you gift for your staff. Find out more at beverlyhillsbakery.com That's B-E-V-E-R-L-Y beverlyhillsbakery.com or by using the links in the show notes below. The Employment Appeal Tribunal agreed with the law firm consultant. The tribunal had misapplied the public interest test. Looking at the four factors set out in Chesterton and No Mohammed, which I went through a moment ago, the tribunal hadn't considered them all, and that was a legal error. They hadn't considered the identity of the alleged wrongdoer, a firm of solicitors which is rightly subject to high standards of honesty and integrity. The EAT said the nature of the wrongdoing hadn't been properly considered either, which included potential breaches of regulations which in place precisely to protect the public. The tribunal also failed to look at the nature of the interests affected and the extent to which they were affected by the alleged wrongdoing. Instead, the tribunal had focused only on the first factor, the number of people whose interests were served by the disclosure. And so they decided it was a private matter, affecting only the firm and one client, and as such had no wider public interest. Now, although public interest is more likely to be found when more people are affected, there are cases where disclosures relating to one person can reasonably be believed to be in the public interest and have a wider remit. The Employment Appeal Tribunal gave the example of the case of a one-off error in relation to the medical care of a patient, which could clearly be a matter of wider public interest. And in this case, the disclosures could have advanced a wider public interest around solicitors complying with regulatory requirements, and not overcharging their clients. Even if the employee's primary motivation in this case had been his own fees, that wouldn't prevent the disclosure from being in the wider public interest. Having found that the employee reasonably believed there'd been a breach of regulations by way of overcharging, the tribunal had then not gone on to explain their finding That it was a purely private matter and wasn't protected so the employment appeal tribunal sent the case back to a fresh employment tribunal to reconsider whether the disclosures were made in the public interest and revisit whether the whistleblowing caused the detriment including the termination of the consultant's contract so what can we learn from this the case shows that disclosures can be made in the public interest even in cases which relate to apparently private matters. This can be the case even when matters may be motivated by self-interest, in this case the solicitor's own fees being disproportionately written off. Provided the employee believes the matters in the public interest, and provided that belief is reasonable, the test for whistleblowing will be satisfied. Issues relating to one client only or to one person only can have a wider public interest, as was the case here. The hurdle is not a high one. That's a really important point to emphasise. The hurdle is not a high one for an employee to establish that there's a public interest element to their whistleblowing claim. The more important issue for employers is usually going to be causation. In other words, showing that their detrimental conduct towards an employee or a worker was not caused by a protected disclosure, but was caused by something else. Whenever a worker raises allegations of any kind of wrongdoing, employers should be on high alert. Hold off knee-jerk reactions until the dust has settled and the facts are clear. Cultivating a culture where malpractice is called out is a positive rather than a negative thing. It helps protect the business from poor practice as well as protect the business from renegade staff and consequent liability. Public interests and business interests usually go hand in hand and a worker who calls out malpractice is usually doing you a favour even though it might not seem like it in the heat of the moment. Thank you so much for listening to this, the final episode of season two of Employment Law Matters. Season three launches in the autumn with a further 10 episodes. Do subscribe to Employment Law Matters on whatever podcast player you use if you want to know when it comes out. And I leave you with this. Over the course of this season, I've spoken with multiple leading employment lawyers to discuss issues relating to grievances, tribunal procedure, how to win tribunal claims gig economy workers, holiday pay, and more. The best place to get employment law information and support is the membership club I run called the HR Inner Circle, www.hrinnercircle.co.uk. And despite the name, we also allow lawyers to join. As a member, you're part of a thriving community of people interested in employment law. You get access to a vibrant, Active online community where dozens of members are supported and helped every single day in our forum. You get a monthly magazine from me, packed with practical advice on HR and employment law issues. You get an exclusive audio seminar by me, sent to you every month, which you can't get elsewhere. Two or three times a year, you receive a free book on employment law topics, the most recent three. All sent out to members in 2021 are on constructive dismissal, resolving grievances, and employment status. You get access to regular Zoom employment law Q and A's hosted by either me or another leading employment law barrister. We set up member huddles where you join a small group of colleagues for an hour online, and each get 15 minutes to brainstorm an issue that might be troubling you. And there's lots more. For more information and to join. You can visit www.hrinnercircle.co.uk, hrinnercircle.co.uk, the link's also in the show notes, and I'd love to get to know you as part of the community. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Barrister Daniel Barnett, and I'll see you in the autumn for season three.